Natchcast 25. I'm Mark. He's Josh. You're the best. We've done 25 of these, which means we'll probably do 100. This week we have a guest, Arlo Crawford. Hi, Arlo. This is Arlo. Everyone, say hi to Arlo. He's the celebrated author of a celebrated book, A Farm Dies Once a Year. Which is true and sad and uncontrollable and beautiful at the same time. Great book. You should read it. We have fun with Arlo. He joins us for about an hour, and then we do a little... Dive into the subterfuge around Hampton Creek and the egg board. The world is a vampire. Begin. We're recording too. So we should do okay, the cool. uh, we should do the uh, thing. I mean, that's kind of more of a novelty at this point. I don't know if it actually helps. We don't really have to all beep together. <laughs> no. Oh, I thought you needed that. All right. <laughs> I thought it helped, but I'm, I'm not totally convinced it does. Well, why would do you, you guys have one of those like on air like lights that lights up like recording on air? Oh yeah. There's a candle. We have a candle burning. <laughs> it's the, the on air candle. Nice. <laughs> like a nice like mushroom stoner candle. I, I wish. No, it's like a fancy, like, artisan $40 soy candle. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> when did fucking soy start getting made into candles is one of my questions. It's a key mm. newsworthy item. That is a good question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so damn much of it. I'm stumped already. And maybe people don't want to be eating the GMO soy, so these people are like, what are we going to do with this GMO soy? GMO candle? <laughs> Make it GMO candles. candles. We'll find a nicer way to burn it. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a guess. I missed the beep. I kind of want to... Can we do the beep? Well, Okay. Uh, so Arlo, we did this thing like when we have guests, we'll, we'll okay. count down from three, and then we'll all make kind of a sustained beeping sound. And the okay. idea is that it, it puts a big spike on the audio track, so it's easy for me to line them up when you send us your okay. audio track. So, which which okay. he's already told us cool. it really doesn't matter, but but it's kind of fun. He's right. So three, two, one. Nobody sustains it long enough. <laughs> no, he sustained it. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, all right. I think the audio just cut out a little bit. Oh, great. I kind of broke off there for a minute. But... Oh, it's fine. That was lovely. Uh, we have a guest. We have a guest. You going to introduce the guest? No, you should introduce the guest. <laughs> you know more about the guest. I, I, I read not, the book. I have not read the book. Jesus. I read the the uh, titillating NPR article, though. So. Well, yeah. he wrote the book. Well, I know. I know he didn't write the NPR article. Oh. Yeah, Arlo Crawford in the studio, yes. sort of. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Where are you? In, in spirit. In spirit. You're not on a farm. You're in San Francisco. I'm on. I'm in San Francisco. Yep, my home studio here at my kitchen table. Box of donuts, a few I'm avocados. So I'm here. D- avocado and donuts. Um, yeah, probably all the intro a, anybody a needs. Nice selection. <laughs> I like to keep a pile of avocados near me at all times in California. So. You grow them in your yard? It's in San <laughs> no, Francisco. No <laughs> yard, yeah. You can grow avocados it's, in San Francisco. It's grow a lot trees of trees Rooftop avocado trees? It's not a trend? No. I've got absolutely no urban farming going on. i got to have to Oh, well, we'll get it's into that. Crushing, but <laughs> so, urban farming just makes me go into rages. So. Oh, no. It drives me into rages, just, too. Does it? But, but mostly because I'm really bad at it. 
<laughs> I found out that I'm, I'm really bad at watering plants. That's kind of the hardest part for me. And the stuff yeah. that's not automated just gets scorched or... I don't know. You're overthinking it. I know. Probably. And every time we go to like a nursery, my wife's like, no, Arlo grew up on a farm. And I'm like, oh, God. Now <laughs> Can I know what I'm doing? Like, I, don't, I don't even know how to pressure. water these things. The struggle is real. The pressure is there. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm here in San Francisco, heart of the, uh, the food craziness mm. movement. I think, of, mm. uh, I think of Berkeley as the heart, which is right there. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's, that's a good point. Okay. Well, no. I you want to you split hairs, huh, Mark? Yeah, I do. <laughs> is there a specific Alice. street somewhere in Berkeley that you really consider uh-huh. to be the heart of it all? Uh-huh. An address? Divisadero? <laughs> okay. That's not in, I don't... No, there is, dude, there is. There's like the gourmet ghetto, like right on, there is. There's like a, there's a, a throbbing center with Alice oh, Waters sitting, sitting throbbing. right in the middle. It's, the woman knows how to throb and she, mm. uh, yeah, she's getting a medal from, from I don't think that's... Barack Obama next week. Was that Alice Waters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, Alice the... Waters is the throbbing woman? <laughs> she's... Throbbing and organic food are the two things that's right, best yeah. at. Um, I read a book and I wrote a little post. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, we reached out to. Uh, did we ping you on some sort of social media outlet? I'm sure we did. I think it was Carrier Pigeon. Yeah, Carrier Pigeon. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I and Instagram. I've been racking my brain to try to remember how I discovered the book because that might be yeah, of interest to an author. About that too. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was somewhere else on social media. So yeah, somebody I, tr- yeah, you know, somebody else I trusted, there was a picture of a book called A Farm Di- A Farm Dies Once a Year. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's the book. That's the plug. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about the social media find. Well, I saw it and I said, I want to read that book. Like a maybe, tweet or maybe an Instagram might have been a tweet. <laughs> wow. You can I really s- picture it in my mind now. I, and I picked, I don't know, I picked, I hadn't read a book in a while. I have yeah, some small have kids problem. and it was a problem. And I said, I wanted to read a book and I don't know why I read that book. Yeah, you've just been reading picture books. I think, I don't think even we were doing a podcast and I read that book. Wow. Yeah. All right, so you enjoyed the book. Well, I was surprised by the book. Mm, you were, okay. Yeah. Arlo's all ears. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, yeah, right, surprised. Well, it has such an evocative title, right? Mm. I think, lyrical title. And then mm. I'm reading the book and this was, um, I, I think I wrote, when I wrote my Tell me. Review? I don't know what I wrote. I wrote something about the book, and it, and it, it, it wasn't that to me. I was expecting, you know, I, I thought it would be more highfalutin about the food world. And it was a very yeah, yeah. Um, uh, delightfully solid tale of a summer on a, well, a year on a farm. A year on a farm or a summer on a farm? You went back Yeah, you, more, more a summer than a year. A summer. Yeah. A little and, bit sort of on both ends, but yeah, kind of mostly a summer. And you built, I sh- oh, Josh didn't see the thing you, have you seen the pictures of what he built? No. I don't think so. I should have showed you that. Yeah, tell me about what I he built. I looked it up online. He built this thing. I, could, I, was have, I couldn't envision that. I was, I, what did he build, though? You're- he built a, a, a yurt. No, he built a, um, yeah. like a, not a cabin, a shelter. A shelter. A shelter. A shelter yes. is what I settled on calling it. Yeah, yeah. It was, was it hard cut- to kind of figure. <clears throat> it was more first like a platform and then... And then it got a shelter put on top of it. So yeah, I built this thing out in the in the farm he to live it. on for the summer. So yeah, it was a uh, 
It was a trip. I, I do remember reading the book. I was like, oh, he's, he doesn't want to sleep in the house with his parents. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seriously. And then I'm the like, girlfriend wait. came, and it sounds like now that's a wife. Yeah. Or is it a, yep. diff- is it a different my person? Wife. Okay, good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it all worked out. So you guys shared the platform, and it got real. We shared the platform. The platform was was awesome actually the platform I kind of regret building the house in the end because the platform was just like this kind of cool dock out in the middle of the woods like it was built on the side of a hill like a really steep hill so like the end was way up in the air I mean you know if you walk off of it you would have fallen you know 20 feet off the end which was it was just a very cool it was a perilous platform it was it was it was like a yeah, yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we slept on it in a tent for a while, and then, yeah. So I built this little house, and it was cool. It was cool. I'm not sure it's still there. I think it's standing, um, kind of being absorbed back into the ground now, since no one's around it anymore. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm making a, I'm making a uh, fervid attempt to uh, find a picture of it for Josh. Oh, this is where I saw it. All right. This is fun. Yeah. I'm just clicking around online while we chat. While we chat. <laughs> I'm not sure where there are pictures of it. I guess they were on like Amazon right here. Or something. I'm at um, Melanie. On your internet? No, yeah, my Instagram. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Melanie M. Melanie M. CleanPhoto.com. Yep. You know yep, this person. Yep. Look at that, Josh. I do know her. All right, hand me this. I'll he built this. that. He came back to the family farm. Yeah, that's a nice helped uh, out, platform. Helped out, come house, I and like built it. that, and like just lived the life of a real human for a while. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, he's still living that. He yeah. probably is. Just a different life, different yeah, pace. Yeah, different pace. Yeah, different sort of set of. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess like there's all these. You know, like I mean, it's I'm gratified here that you're set. You know, is surprising because the one thing I really didn't want to write was like another book about how great organic food is. Right. Um, but it's funny, even when I like talk about it now, and these cliches keep coming up in my mind. I'm like, no, it was a different pace. No, it was more <laughs> like I don't know, it'd make authentic or something. But it wasn't really any of those things. It was just kind of. Um, it was really, honestly, mostly about spending a bunch. Of, I didn't realize this until much later, actually, in sort of after I'd written the book, but that it was really about spending a lot of time with my parents, <laughs> which was cool. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of a pressure cooker on a farm like that. So it was, um, it was intense. In but, season. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your dad's yeah. an intense guy. Like he's very serious about his farming. Yeah. He's a really serious guy. Um, and, uh, just, you know, he's kind of gotten older and, as old men get to do, they're just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm the one that's right, and everyone's going to listen to me, <laughs> and I'm just going to not give a fuck what anyone has to say about anything. Um, so my dad's kind of in that stage of life right now. Um, and I, so, yeah, when it comes to a farm, there's a lot going on, a lot for him to be. It's funny that you, be, you begin about, life you know, hold, hold on. with that mindset. Oh, boy. And then, <laughs> exactly. And then towards the end of your life, you can revert back to that mindset because kids are like, fuck it, I'm right. Well, he is right. I know, but that's what's so nice. Maybe we're all right. When did, we so, need to stop second-guessing ourselves. Yeah, it's, as far as farms go, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's not sort of, yeah, the farming celebrity complex is, uh, is interesting. But, yeah, it's one of the sort of first, not that's one of the, the first, but one first. of the farms that started that kind of, in this early seventies, you know, a lot of these kind of first farms got started that ended up this in this place where we are now kind of ended up with whole foods. Um, 
so yeah, it was one of those, and in kind of a unique place in that it was, you know, South Central Pennsylvania. I was just talking to someone last week who was on a farm, who worked on a farm in northern Vermont for a while, and that's a much different kind of scene. You know, there's like these weird pockets of sustainable agriculture around the country, Asheville, North Carolina, um, where people kind of all started farms in the 70s, and, um, and they each kind of have their different personalities. Some are more like hippie, some are more... Uh, artsy and Southern Pennsylvania is just more South Central PA is more like um, just uh, there's not much in Central Pennsylvania it's pretty pretty kind of quiet blue collar part of the country so yeah but yeah so they do all their business in DC and it's about that's where two and a half hour drives so. uh, d- did you say in the book where that farm I remember the toward the end it was a, the epic farmers market hall um, yeah there, there were a few but yeah, we'd wake up like I don't know before the crack of dawn, with the with the trucks yep. already loaded. Mm, nope, you got to load them up, and then you're driving into the city. Because I grew up outside of DC, and I was trying to. Oh, you me. did? Yeah. Where'd you? Where? Which, which farmers market? Well, my mm-hmm. go ahead. My mother does the one at Dupont, which is kind of only been around for about 15 years. There's a big market at Dupont Circle, and then my dad actually started markets that were just him and a few other farmers. Uh, but one in Adams Morgan, one in Cleveland, in uh, Cleveland Park. So he's kind of all over this. He's been in a few different places around the city. But, um, but yeah, farmers markets have just blown up in DC in the last like ten years. There's so many of them now. So, yeah. But where did you grow up near DC? Alexandria, Virginia. Like the, nice. I guess it's kind of a suburb. It's the yeah, greater sprawl yeah. of DC. But we had yeah. little farmers. I don't remember going into the city. Well, once I got out of my parents' house, we went in the city for farmers markets. Some, but it's been ooh, twenty years. I don't. It's been a while since you've been to a farmers I feel, market. I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> no, since yeah, since I've been to a farmers market, I only shop at uh, uh, Sam's Club. No, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, like on your T-shirt. So this is this new morning farm. We need to set this up. Yeah. All right, that's in so, order. <laughs> New Morning Farm. So the, the book is 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 a son's journey back. That sounds terrible. You know, he, uh, he comes back to help on the farm. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. he. Yeah, he's with his parents, who are these sort of, given what's happened in culture right now around food, they're you're know, like, wow, it's happening because of people like this who. We're going to do one thing, and he was going to be a lawyer, I, I think. Is that right? He dropped out of law school? Oh, dropped out of law school. That's right. I dropped out of law school, yeah. yeah. Grow vegetables. Did a year in law school. Was in the Navy, then worked in, in Washington for a few years, went to law school, and then moved to West Virginia for a summer with like a bunch of friends just to kind of hang out, and then just ended up staying there and growing vegetables instead. That was his first kind of patch of land. And then the farm where I grew up is actually only about 45 minutes north of West Virginia, so pretty close. And so you were on this farm, like, your whole life, basically, until you were finished with high school? and then. Yeah, yeah. I went to boarding school, actually, when I was in 10th grade, so until 10th grade, I grew up on the farm. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, it's an, I haven't been back in like a year or two years, but it's um, it's an intense place and it's changed a lot since I've been there too. So, but yeah, I grew up grew up doing the farm farm kid lifestyle. So, you should uh, have your have your mom and dad come out to experience the throbbing center of Alice Waters food reform. Yeah. <laughs> they have they have they've been out here quite a bit and they. Um, 
Yeah, Alice Waters is sort of that next level of food celebrity. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. but yeah, they've met her, I think, once or twice. And I'm, she, I'll uh, bet they have. Yeah, but is yeah, they're, like, they're in sort of a. Is there like competition? Like, because they they have their vegetables oh, they grow. Do they come, no, vegetables. but I mean, do they come eat California vegetables? They're like, mm, no, we're I, doing this a little better back in Pennsylvania. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally, <laughs> they do that. I mean, there's even more competition among farmers that are local to each other. You know, I mean, like a farmers market, it's like this little like competitive event for sure for a lot of people you know they kind of show up and they can, you see who's got the biggest lines and who's doing the most business and like you know these people a lot of people are are still learning how to do it uh, yeah. I mean not I mean there's a lot of established farmers but um, but yeah there's a lot of uh, personalities involved in, in that kind of business it's definitely up close and personal I uh, in a former life I uh, inter- interviewed John T. Edge of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and he's been on Top Chef, and he kind of is, he's a powerful mouthpiece for the importance of food culture in the South. Um, yeah. And so, and he, you know, I interviewed him about this trend toward natural and organic stuff, and it was very nuanced and fascinating. But the one thing I remember right now was how mad he got about the Aravist hipster farmers that we're landing on, you know, you know, that's what I'm thinking of when then there's your dad, like, I know how to do this. What are you doing? Do you need help? Yeah. Let me help you. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's funny because like that was a big part, that kind of same anger was part of my whole reason for wanting to write the book was like, you know, like fuck all these hipsters showing up. Um, but I've come to realize over since the, I wrote it that, well, I mean, come to realize, I mean, that was what my dad was and my mom was at one point, you know what I mean? But it's like anyone who does this for any amount of time is like the real deal. Like you can't, I mean, there's always farmers going to be farmers who do it for like a year or two, but anyone who like commits themselves to this is, is pretty, uh, is pretty intense. So I don't know the, I kind of have a new appreciation for the hipster farmers on the other hand. Yeah, they kind of got to stick with it for like five years. They got to go through some serious pain before, before they're, they they earn their shovels. But well, the nature of the yeah. work is going to thin the herd pretty quickly. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hurry. like you can't just do it because it makes good Instagram pictures. You know, it does make good Instagram <laughs> pictures, but you know, they um, yeah, it's definitely it's some serious hard work as I, you can imagine. Jo- jo- Josh will read this book. Yeah. Of course, definitely. Um, Mark, Mark, Mark's promised it's really, to bring over really his copy good. for months, and he just never delivers. So. Um, but I, I, I have visceral memories of you know. Oh yeah, this is like a hard day's work, but rewarding. And you're starving, totally. and you're eating fresh food right out of the ground. Well, yeah, yeah, right out of the ground. That's a pretty yeah. high compliment to Arlo's uh, poetry too. If you're having a visceral reaction, I, wouldn't call I like poetry. Poetry. Visceral I Sorry, reaction. his, his yeah, it's, it's it would I, it would it downplayed all that lyricism, which I was. Mm. So and then, so, what about? Tell me about the title then, because it's like sort of like, is that you or is that a publisher putting a title on it? No, yeah. So that was, I mean, or is it something? Yeah, the the title something? was that was actually from an essay I wrote elsewhere. Um, was a line from an essay I wrote, mm. and I was just sort of, you know, the title was so hard. Um, it was actually, yeah, it was, it was hugely one of the hardest parts of the book, which sounds ridiculous, but I mean, I thought on it for so long and I had all these lists of titles and, um, eventually my wife actually was like, oh yeah, I remember that line you wrote in that essay. So I went with that, but 
I think yeah, it made it. I, mean, I think it made the book for me to be honest. It's sort of Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it's the the juxtaposition of that and maybe I'm overstating it, right? But that title could be like, "Oh, I'm going into like some Wendell Berry shit here." Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then and then the delivery of what you wrote was what I would say is not that, but like the the content within is getting to the same stuff, but then with that title on it you're like, "Oh, I got it. This isn't just a little story about a farm. There's something here." Without it being overstated. No, yeah, no. I think that. I mean, I appreciate. I'm, I'm like super insecure about that title. I always that. But so I'm Two really glad up. to hear Two that you up. like it. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you could. I guess you could have gone like straightforward with like a nonfiction my memoir summer on the title. farm. Yeah, yeah my, exactly. Yeah. Or like the one thing like it was like a New. farmer's son. You know, I definitely did uh. not want. I was like, I don't want anything that would like have a sepia toned, you know, photograph of like a kid on a farm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the title just kind of, I just wanted to get at that, you know, that like, that there's, that it's sick, you know, it's cyclical and that the farm is just kind of this like existing thing. And when you're young and you're, you know, you're like this hipster farmer, you kind of show up and you like have this, I guess the, you know, a lot of things, a lot of times what people say is I read this, this article I was like oh the spring when like a farmer puts his hands in the dirt for the first time it's just like the most you know invigorating time for a farmer and it's like you know I don't know that that's that's like when the anxiety is the highest and when you know it's like it's like all these farming narratives are based on this idea of like birth and you know this renewal and you know a lot of a farm is like death and like <laughs> constancy so that was kind of what I was trying to A little bit to get of despair. At, what perhaps. was the, the what was Yeah, the, totally. Which so the tomato there was drama in this book. There was There was and, drama. And the, the tomatoes went down and the strawberries saved the day. Is that right? Raspberries. Raspberries, raspberries kind of saved the day. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, two, I mean tomatoes are like the hugest crop for my parents. So and it's also kind of my dad's main sort of love. So, yeah. There were and there drama. were there were numbers on it. Yeah, there was like this was $200,000 worth of well, tomatoes are volatile too. They're Fussy. Well, he got the blight fruits. And he yeah. Just, oh, I just take them out. So and it was sad. from like big box stores. Like they they traced the blight eventually, and oh. it had been like tracked. They well, I mean, I don't know for sure, but they tracked Sam's the blight Club. through like Sam's Club. Totally like through like <laughs> seedlings that have gone through like the Sam's Club distribution network. So, so old and Sam then, Walton well, fucking I, us from beyond the grave. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I remember. I, I remember this part as well. Reading it like, oh yeah. If you weren't an organic farmer, you would just spray the hell out of some stuff right now. Scorched oh, earth. Yeah. No, oh, damn. Totally. Instead of just watch it go, burn it down. Yeah. Yeah. Try I mean, yeah, you just kind of cut. Exactly. And that's a good point, like, of the title, you know, like, part of the title. Like, you just kind of have to watch. Like, you're going to, like, this thing is, you're going to lose this thing no matter how hard you work at it. And I think that's kind of what, at that point in my life, what was interesting to me is, like, how my parents and their, you know, like, they had spent their whole lives building this thing and... Um, it was going to kind of eventually end. So that was where I was at the time. Yeah, I feel and, like, oh, go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was just going to say the title is the more I'm chewing on it. It's really sinking in for me more now because <laughs> when you hear a farm dies every year, thinking like a specific a farm, yeah, that a specific farm shutters and closes kind of thing. But no, it's like an organism. It yeah, dies exactly. Every exactly. Year. So there is that rebirth, but it's like. There's a full death. Everything that's involved with it, like, suffers. 
Yeah, exactly. Great. Oh, exactly. That's, that's good stuff, Josh. That's, that was the idea. Yeah. It's just I'll, like, you know, just, yeah, kind of to sort of focus on on that sort of harder aspect of the work, which doesn't always, isn't, isn't like the easy marketing message, you know, that, that is so prevalent. So I think you should feel really good about that title. Oh yeah. Thank you. I no do. more feeling bad about it. No, <laughs> <laughs> let's put yeah. that to bed right I, now. <laughs> I got this. I, yeah, it's been a, it's been a trip and I mean, writing a book is, has been a, it's been like two years now, a year or two. So it's been a long process of, Still. You really put yourself out there when you do that kind of thing. So, oh, yeah, I'm glad. Now I think I can put it to rest. Now that you've signed off on the title, though, I think well, I'm good. That's why we're here. Well, yeah, welcome to the pod. <laughs> welcome to the podcast world for putting yourself out there. Um, <laughs> exactly. So here comes the transition. Well, I had one more question about the book. <sighs> All right, is that okay? Yeah. Well, I want to get into. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I'm sure these questions are answered in the book, and they'll be answered for me when I read it. But uh, so you mentioned that you went to the farm partially because mm. you were kind of irritated by hipster farmers and you kind of wanted to, you know, say fuck all that. But was part of it to kind of discover if somewhere in you, you had the passion to do that work or were you just kind of going home totally. to stay with your parents and kick it with them for a while? Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't think I mean, I wasn't really motivated to write the book. I mean, by that that annoyance with another idea of farming, but it was definitely, I mean, I, I knew I had never been interested in farming all my life. I knew that I wasn't interested in being a farmer, but I was, I was like early, I was in my early thirties. I was like 33 and I was just got all of a sudden really interested in what my, like the commitment that my dad had made and my mom had made to that place. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't have any, there's nothing equivalent to me right now. There's no way I would move out to the middle of the nowhere to do anything. You know, I don't, I don't know. So it was definitely like the prime motivation I think was understanding that understanding what kind of, drive somebody to commit their whole lives to something that is kind of crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I knew it wasn't about me discovering whether or not I could be a farmer, but me sort of understanding more about the underlying motivation, I think. And kind of unlocking the mysteries and intricacies of, of platform construction. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was also key. It was a courtship also underway. <laughs> so that's the, that was my, well done, Josh. That was my transition. Sorry to so, steal it from you. Yeah, we'll link we'll link to the um the NPR article. Oh, Dan Charles. Mm-hmm. Pro. There he is. Pro. He was lo- he was wound up in a tweet we sent out last week since we're uh, hammering sure on social media this episode. He was very excited to see that. Nice. From Organic Pioneers, this is your point. Son inherits pa- <laughs> from or- and we leave that in. We don't edit that out. From Organic <laughs> Pioneers, son inherits passion. Not just for farm. God damn it. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> God. Passion. Throbbing. You want me to give it a go or you got it? Maybe Arlo remembers what the... Th- from, our, from, uh. <laughs> from Organic Pioneers, Son Inherits Passion, Just Not for Farming. That's it. By Dan Charles. Yeah, I'm going to read the quote. Should I try? <laughs> give it a go, man. Just this little one. The legacy of his parents, in fact is not the land, but the impulse to try new things. Quote, this is quoting Arlo while Arlo's, Arlo's on the phone. Meta. What my parents passed on to me is that it's possible to go out and take huge risks, Crawford says. And that's the end of the quote. Right now he's trying to forge a life as a writer. I think... The um, only profession harder than farming. Ooh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Tell that to his dad, yeah. Yeah, you guys can share war stories. I don't sense. know if his... I don't know. I don't know Arlo's dad. 
I'm not sure if he, if he would agree with that statement. Uh, from the NPR <laughs> profile, I'm guessing not, but I, I don't he's know in, either. Okay. The picture that, they used of him also makes him look really kind of angry, which is kind of a weird thing. But he's, um, yeah, he's a serious guy, but he's, 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 he's really, he's fun-loving too. He loves fun <laughs> vegetables also. Has he read the book? Oh, yeah, he's read the book, yeah, yeah. My parents have both read the book, yep. Ooh, no comment. So, <laughs> no, like no, it. it was, they liked it, yeah. I mean, it took them some time to come around to it also. Um, I mean, you know, it's also no. hard to be sort of defined that way by somebody else. Um, but, but, yeah, they, um, they came to really, I think, really appreciate it. How'd they feel about the title? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. We never talked about the title together. So uh, so you're talking to two young men in their around 40. That's generous. Yeah. yeah. Young, but we both yeah. both have two small kids. Well, yeah, there's seven and uh, five. Is yep. that right? I got yeah. that right. Yep. Yes. I should. <clears throat> I, I think. Wait, but we actually had this. There was some confusion with a guest before. We eat, we have two kids separately. Like I have two boys and he has two girls. <laughs> okay, okay, got it, got it. I was confused there for a second. We don't, it's it's a, just a podcast partnership at this point, not a life partnership. <laughs> we're, not, we're raising four kids together. Yeah, it's like be, the Brady Bunch. It's a sitcom. Um, Jesus, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say that that I don't think there's any greater gift we could give our kids than that sort of. A farm? The desire to find something then, you're, pa- you're passionate about and go after it. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. forget the farm. The farm is a crucible for something much bigger. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, I, yeah. Exactly. Look at, Look at you. Look at me. Damn, dude. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a microcosm. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. So, yeah, so if farming's not your thing, you still have parents that have shown you life can be full of passion. Well, and a dad who's demonstrated like that it's the value of being dedicated to your craft. And you don't have to follow path A. You could, if you want path B, you can go for it. And it may not involve a cubicle. But check Boom. out dad's focus. Take note of that. Oh, it could be a home yeah. studio in San Francisco. Yeah. Platform, <laughs> a burgeoning platform building business. No, I think, I think, I think we're, in, I think the shift here that Josh hasn't made is that the interest for Arlo is not farming. No, I'm, I got that. Art, museums. And I think, do That's you actually right. work in this yeah. world now? I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked, so I worked at a museum before I went to write to Back to the Farm. And then I moved to San Francisco and ended up at a museum again. So, yeah, I'm back in a museum here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Which that's, museum? that's my, Maybe um, about it's that. the the Young. It's sort of the big museum and uh, there's... It's just one of the big museums in San Francisco, so. And that's, yeah. yeah, But but is that, um, so is that a job or, and and writing on the side or do the worlds come together well there in a way that I'm not processing? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm writing there. So I'm sort of doing, um, writing different parts of the, you know, different, different, different parts of the organization. So, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, (laughs) in some ways the book was about like leaving the, leaving the museum world and like finding my passion as a writer. Um, and now I'm back in the museum. So it was a giant failure. Um, no, but it's just sort of, it is a job and it's, um, but you know, I think it just sort of being able to write and be creative and it's a great spot for that. So, and I'm just to kind of take a breather from another 
project that's all on my own, which is, uh, you know, a book. A book. <laughs> Another book. Leaves you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We've got we've to figure out the, the next thing. So. You don't want to talk but about yeah, it. But yeah, I'm back okay. in museums. Well, I, I, I understand that uh, my, my wife, I'm not going to do the Borat thing. My wife. Yeah, she'd probably appreciate nobody that. Nobody does the Borat. You did it a few podcasts ago. <laughs> I did it once. I, I kind of wrinkled my nose and said, yeah, did you? yeah, don't do that. All right. Well, that's over. She's also not your wife. Oh. To get technical. <laughs> Jesus. She is your life partner. Oh, well. We're 20 years you in. You guys are against the grain. I just, it's easier. All right. Um, she, she, uh, she has worked at museums uh, in the past. And I, I think I there's a, there's a passion and interest in that field and the art, but then the actual oh this is a job inside that, so I think I get it. But I shouldn't ask you about the new project. You don't want to talk about the new project? It's oh, the new project? No, I mean I don't really have sort of a specific new project. I'm just kind of writing. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what I want to write next. You know, like this book just felt like something I had to write, and I mean I wanted to, but. Um, yeah, it's a great I'm story. Kind of it's a great story. Casting. Are you are you Thank most you. interested in like nonfiction and kind of that that no, avenue? Or? No, I mean I yeah I mean write I sort of write essays and and nonfiction sort of most naturally, but um, yeah I don't know I'm sort of thinking about fiction now and and yeah, with, the, with a title just, like that last book you could do it. That's right. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna sail on that t- coast on that title for a long time. But, all right. Yeah, we, I'm figuring it out as as I guess we all are. Big time. All right. Congratulations on all of those things. Yeah. Book, etc. We're gonna get Thank to some news. All right. I found all these great stories about like farms of the future, urban ag, etc. Right after I called the oh, stories yeah. for the week, it sounds like. That would have got him hot and bothered. Possibly, we could share with him uh, our our concept the uh, the new Mall of America. Oh, do that, yeah. So uh, this came about, I think, like two episodes ago. We uh, devoted a whole episode to just uh, this this Lucky Peach, this uh, collection of articles in Lucky Peach, kind you of envisioning that. the future there, of food. San Francisco. Yeah, it is in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Nice magazine, right so, up the street. Yeah, and the focuses of the four articles. There was one about golden rice and like how GMOs might save. Some people. There was one about vertical farms. There was another lab meat. about lab meat and then eating bugs. Yeah. Future so we, of food. Future we got food. to ideating, as we are prone to doing. <laughs> and uh, what we came up with is like because a lot of these. So the the it started with the notion of a vertical farm. A lot of people think of it as being in kind of like some sort of sci-fi painting, you know, and it's like a big, tall, gleaming white building with oh, like many floors. Yeah, all sorts of flora. Just, but that's not the reality. No, it's that they're going into like old abandoned WalMarts, abandoned Pentecostal churches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so our, our thought was that. like, you got all these malls everywhere, surround, ringing all these mall, cities. The malls are dying. Nobody's malls in the dying. malls. Unless just there's someone's going to step in and turn it into like a showy outdoor promenade style mall. Promenade? Like <laughs> Belmar, that's the new thing. Like Say an outdoor that word mall. One more time. Promenade, there like that go. kind of mall. Uh, but you got all these old, you know, indoor malls. You, 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 you trick them out. You have one wing of the mall is where you grow all your vegetables. And it can even be aquaponic. You can have fish down he's, in, he's down in the basement. Like that, but yep, you're on it. Yeah. And then there's another wing that's the, the lab meat, the tube steak wing, where you're just growing all this crazy <laughs> meat. And then there's like a cricket 
yep. growing area, and then there's a big poultry farm out in the parking lot. <laughs> and well, then why does it need to be? Why are they inside? I'm not. I don't understand. Like the because they when they demolished uh, Candlestick, they were like, we're going to turn this into a farm. They were like all these like concept drawings. It's like there's just plenty of dirt just out there also that doesn't have a ball built on it. I think our thought right? was that uh, you know in the future. As water becomes more and more scarce, and it's 130 right. degrees, right? Yeah, you'd want to do it indoors. And, there will be and no manage outdoors. like every aspect of it, so you're not wasting a single drop, kind of thing. Right, right. So it's not necessarily yeah. a, a great vision or like a, a spy. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't inspire a shitload of hope, but Dystopian. at least then we're growing food. It's a great vision. all around the city, and then it could just be you know droned in. That sounds terrible, yeah, though, right? Cities. That was the key. That was the key to drones, for sure. Uh, drones are going to be key. Well, yeah. tell yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's the thing about urban farming. I never really, it's like, there's no real need to put a farm in a city. So, like, it just seems kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And I'm, I mean, it's like innovative, but it just like, it's like the exact kind of San Francisco idea to be, be like, we're going to innovate for the sake of innovating when there's just like plenty of normal farmland everywhere. I've never really, I don't really get that, but, but it looks cool. And it means you can create these, create these great renderings of crazy, of like candlestick park filled with, you know, fields. Yeah. I think, I think Josh is, which getting- is social media goal. <laughs> <laughs> We're thinking more of like Instagram here than practicality. <laughs> exactly. What's going to rake Most in likes? I, it's yeah. I, I there is there. I don't know. There, there's well, there's there's real reasons to pursue these lines of thought, right? If it's yeah. too hot and there's no water, and when you can spend so that time bad. letting like herbivores uh, kind of recondition all the land, like herbivores, herbivores yeah. walking around <laughs> eating and crapping and. Doing it's those hard delightful, to, it's hard to keep it going with you. things. All right, uh, there's hubris in it in my mind. It's I think sort you of, mean hubris. I don't. I, I think that it's kind of. It's like we we assume we can control all these variables. We'll put them inside yeah, in the in the, right. the H vac. Exactly. <laughs> right? Oh, totally. And the, totally. the crickets will love it. It is. It's a great point. It is about control and like totally. That is exactly what it is. And. Like, I just don't think, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's striking about a farm is that how little is under control, you know? And that's just, that's just how it works. And then, yeah, if you put it in a mall where you're sort of like, I mean, you can't just like, a tomato just is not a product. Like, it can't be a finely crafted consumer product, you know? It just has to be, it has to be part of nature, <laughs> which makes me feel like, um... I'm being like a romantic, but it kind of is the case. I think right. it requires some, a lot of randomness and dealing with that randomness is um, about being a farmer. Well, it sounds like part of being a farmer too, is letting go of the illusion of control because yeah, we, we yeah. don't really have control over anything. It's getting into that. Exactly. Harmony, figuring it out. Yeah. Sweet spot. It's just like the end of a yoga class and shit right now. Like, come oh. on. <laughs> let go of that control you know yeah no it's it's true though it is it's true it's like you guys gotta like you're out there in your little ship on the ocean and you just gotta give up give in and farm, farm dies once a year <laughs> there we go. exactly exactly all right so this story i think gets right to that josh it does uh what? let me open up my phone unlock it what's the, am i getting am i getting echo or is that just me i wouldn't worry about it <laughs> God, so we got uh, 
Breathe in that dirt, boy. I am getting echo. That's odd. Uh, so this article is from The Verge, and it's actually called Here's Why Farm Kids Have Fewer Allergies and Less Asthma. It's by Ariel Duhame Ross. So there you go. That's pretty good. That's pretty good pronunciation. Uncharacteristically good. <laughs> this, is a, this is a common... Uh, people have been wondering this for years. Escalating rates of... Arlo's like, what am I getting into now? Escalating rates of uh, allergies, asthma, other A's, mm-hmm. autism, ADHD, all this stuff. Allergies, asthma specifically, but why not on the farm? And the theory was that it's this sort of rich stew of micro- microbes and that you're getting all exposed to. Um, so kids who grow up on farms are far less likely to develop asthma or allergies compared with the average child. And now scientists think they know why. So here you go. Uh, We would have predicted that farm dust would change the immune system, but in fact, it's not working directly on the immune system. It's working on the structural cells of the lungs, says Bart Lambrecht. Uh, Oh, boy. (laughs) Pulmonologist (laughs) at Ghent University in Belgium. It's always Ghent. Ghent's a big deal. Ghent? Oh, yeah. Ghent. Uh, When these cells are exposed to farm dust, they get numbed or cooled off, which causes them to stop recognizing common allergens later in life. In this way, you don't develop allergies anymore, Lambrecht says. But that only seems true if a person has high enough levels of A20 activity in their lungs. You got to remember A20. Yeah, big. Remember get, Ghent. Ghent and A20. I don't know. This is, this is a hard story for Arlo to respond to, I'm guessing. Well, not really. <laughs> no, do, you, no. do you have allergies or asthma, Arlo? <laughs> I no, I, I mean, I think it, yeah, I mean, these stories come along, right? That I mean, it's the same thing we were just talking about. It's like this, like, control, this feeling that you can control your kids and nothing will ever make them dirty um, actually ends up harming your kids because they can't deal with the real world. Um, but, yeah, no, I have no asthma. My my sister has no asthma, so, you know. I Case closed. <laughs> Done. Bart, Bart and Ghent can put oh. away his microscope. It's over. Well, so there, there's a um, uh, counterpoint in this article, which I think is, is, is smarter. If I had to pick, it's, uh, what's this guy's name? William Cookson, asthma geneticist at Imperial College, London. Uh, basically, the study's conclusions are too simple, blah, 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 blah. My, my, microbial changes in the gut and in the lungs likely also play an important role. It's not this sort of endotoxin that there's this, they're trying to find this one specific thing on the farm. That's attacking the lungs, and then you respond to it. But it's no, it's the mix. It's the mix. Which, um, oh, this is interesting, though. Uh, in the meantime, the study shows that exposing kids to farm environments early in life is probably a good idea. Lambrecht says, in Holland and Germany, there's a lot of farms who are now organizing daycare centers, he says. So there you go. You can drop your kids off Here's at the shit. farm. Build up the fortitude. I wonder if you could do that in South Central Pennsylvania. I thought you were going to... Do your parents yeah, want to open a daycare center? <laughs> is that the next step? The next, yeah. I, I don't think it's, like, required, like, the daycare. Like, you could probably just take your kid to a farm and just, like, rub him in cow shit, and they'll probably be the, the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, I I, don't, I never, I, yeah, that, that idea of, like, it being dairy and being cow somehow related, I, that's, that's outside my, that's that's outside a, my, a my small, expertise. You just launched a small business right Yeah, there. were you rubbed in cow <laughs> shit as a child? <laughs> Do you have other immunities reg- that we should pretty, be aware pretty of? Pretty regularly. Pretty regularly. You could <laughs> just order, even, order just in like, the mail a little bit of cow shit from the farm and rub it on your kid once a week. <laughs> Smear them, let them play it's, in the yard for a while until it dries. And, yeah. There we go. All right. There are I'm definitely gonna, people that are doing that out here in California somewhere. I'm guaranteeing it. <laughs> Absolutely. 
It's that throbbing center. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to offer one more time to pa- pause. And is it? Is it? Are you echoing? worried about the echo? Or I'll tell you what echo. the echo is. It's not going to show up on the recording. It has oh. to do with what you're hearing through Skype. Okay, thank you, so, Josh. <laughs> so let your mind rest at ease. It just Moving makes it on. a little difficult to talk. Yeah, you kind of stretch words out to catch up. This this museum's got microbes. Yes, it does. New Yorker, Ed Young, super pro. Pro. We ev- we evaluate all media professionals on this podcast. <laughs> um, a visit to Amsterdam's microbe museum called Microbia. Microbia, the world's first museum devoted entirely to microbes, launched in September. Mm-hmm. 12 years of development, 10 million euros. How many, how many dollars is that? Ted, I don't know how many dollars 10 million euros. I said 10! <laughs> oh, I thought I said 10. <clears throat> None of the creatures is in, ex- in... I can't read today. Oh, this is odd. Hold on, let me get closer to my... None of the creatures in its exhibits is bigger than an ant. That's... That's hard. Not only is that hard to read, but especially when it's echoing back and forth through my <laughs> I'm brain. I'm telling you, this is like podcasting boot camp. Build fortitude. Uh, uh, most are substantially smaller. That's what, yeah, I can't read it. It's like, all right, do you my need brain, me to take over? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just my brain firing all over the place. <laughs> all right, so this is a great museum. None of the exhibits is bigger than an ant, and most are substantially smaller. Zipping water fleas, invincible tardigrades. We love tardigrades. Green algae and innumerable bacteria. The place is a shrine to the super small, a haven for charismatic mini-fauna. A place where the cages and paddocks of the neighboring zoo have been swapped for agar pat plates <laughs> and glass slides. The fact that it exists all is a tribute to the growing realization that the great majority of microbes are neither signs of filth nor bringers of disease, but vital parts of the world around us and the world within us. Great job. Whew. <laughs> that was, I think you I overacted that, but I was like I said, I was trying to catch up with the echo. So, God. Arlo, you want to you want to go with us and check out this museum with, or what? On the uh, like the micro museum, yeah. I didn't really. That was a kind of a weird story. I didn't really like. What are you actually looking at? I mean, I feel like it was like a more of a museum of like equipment. It was like micro microscopes and whatnot. Because everything in the museum is something you can't actually see. So it's, it's got to be. I really get that, yeah, that story so much. I thought there were real microbes here that you're looking at. Did I read it wrong? What? No, in I think they're real microbes. I yeah. guess you're right. I guess no, you're right. No, no, you're, no. He's not right. <laughs> Me? Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> Why would they have agar plates if they're not trying to cultivate real things for you to look oh, at? Oh, no, they are. But oh, my. I, I'm not saying you're looking yeah. at live tardigrades. The visualization. <laughs> I can't just <laughs> nut up, dude. Come on. Tardigrades are having like a moment. There was like a big article about them yesterday somewhere too. Water bears. Yeah, I love water bears. Thing. Like the They're indestructible. Hottest animal. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking through the article. I didn't like, there's a... Uh, That's all I, right. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't really do it for me, this museum, I got to say. But... I like the... You, you walked into an elevator... And it like scanned your face and it, it started to enlarge. I guess you're looking at a screen of yourself or something. Yeah. And it, it sort of enlarged and pixelated and then got to the microbial level. That was kind of interesting. But then I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of like, what What am I actually? I'm looking at rend- renditions of things that nobody can ever see. You can't be moved by that? You're too jaded? 
it's great that we're talking <laughs> about the microbiome. Sure is. <laughs> right? But as far as making it a museum, uh, uh, B minus. Right, C plus? Yeah. I, I like, you know what it inspired in me is like a, a thought. And it kind of ties into uh, the That's argument that you do. liked from the previous article about that it's not just one single thing. It's this crazy ass ecosystem. And it kind of makes you think like you yourself, the notion of you. You're not just a single entity. You're like the, your own little solar system. It's kind of nice, right? Like you got your heart, your brain, that centers it. It's kind of like the sun, but then you have like all this shit in here, in your body, controlling your uh, your mind and your emotion and your moods and like making your thoughts what they are. So maybe consciousness is some sort of stew, an internal stew. Yeah. Given how readily, this is a quote, given how readily people tend to associate microbes with all that is vile, the information on offer at Micropia, it's like from a Simpsons episode or something, is remarkably unapologetic, and the visitors seem to become accustomed quickly to the idea that their bodies aren't entirely their own. No one recoiled or frowned or wrinkled her nose, blah, blah, blah. We started treating microbes as enemies and developed even ever better ways of killing them, from antibiotics to sanitizers. Micropia returns its visitors to an unpasteurized era. That's raw milk, baby. This is why we don't have control. Our, we're really controlled by this invisible universe of shit living in us. Oh. There you go. I like that. I like that. You're right. I'm convinced. The, the museum is cool. The Not museum my- is cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, you're like, yeah, you're like dissolving the, yeah, I, I think that's, and they, and they mentioned like there's this, they do like a, a tree, you know, a, there's a, there's a, they do one of those kind of charts and they show just how little the visible world exists in this huge chart of animals that are all invisible, right. which is it's a cool thing. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe they don't make the trip all the way to Holland just to go to this museum. <laughs> have a few other things over, planned. Overkill. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to spend six days at Micropia. <laughs> Soak it all in. It's a, it's a rainy day event. You need a whole day for the water bears alone, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Tardigrades. Okay. Uh, now you get to hear me butcher some uh, French. Zutelo! C'est Puritain de Denmark! No, no. Not close. And also, I don't think it's accurate. What I was trying to say was, holy shit, it's fucking Denmark. And the reason is... Because we, uh, we're pretty proud of France on this podcast. Cause That's not even close, then, I don't think. We, did you... That's your French interpretation? That's, that's Google Translates. Oh, okay. An invaluable tool for all podcasters. Uh, so anyway, France has done a lot of things lately to kind of step up the game as far as Arlo getting may rid not of food know this. waste. Yeah, well, we can fill them in. Well, tell them. Okay. Well, the most notable thing is that there's a huge fine levied in uh, maybe just Paris, or is it all of France? Like, grocery stores can't throw away food anymore. They can't waste food. And previously, they were throwing it away and also pouring bleach on it so people wouldn't scavenge it. But now they're required to find a way to get rid of it that feeds somebody, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's what every place should be doing. And they're also... Uh, oh, he's not going to like the second one. What, green rooftops? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... They need to have green rooftops. It doesn't necessarily have to be a garden, but your rooftop has to be doing something productive, I think. Like, I think it's offices have to do that. Well, yeah, I don't think it's residential. But, yeah. you you know, if you have a big office building, you need to be... Uh, happy. I was going to walk through Paris just like, why? Why do all these office buildings have dirt on them? I'm just like, also, solar panels. They're welcome to have solar panels instead. Okay. 
So in, in any case, uh, Denmark might be winning the global race to prevent food waste by Sidsel Overgaard. That is a great name. This, uh, this is an NPR. Um, let's see. So Danes increasing willingness to buy and consume like items like just inspired dairy products has helped them make arguably the world. Oh, my God. Now I'm having this problem. This echo fucking nightmare. <laughs> okay. Uh, so according to a recent report from the Danish government, Danes now throw away 25% less food than they did five years ago. Danes today throw out 104 pounds of food per year on average, compared to an estimated 273 pounds per person per year in the U.S. Oof. Maya Lindstrom Sergensen, a spokeswoman with Donk's Supermarket, Denmark's largest retailer with four chains and an online store, says Donk's has sold four... Food near expiration at reduced prices for decades. But while buying these items might once have been considered a sign of poverty for consumers, it's now a badge of pride. Go Denmark! Yep. Good story. Yeah. That's a cool one. I feel like, yeah, I mean, that's, it's crazy how people, how much... Yeah, like if you pick a bit, uh, somebody mentioned, I mentioned in the book, I read about the book about harvesting zucchini and how, you know, like because of the regulate, because of the way people expect zucchini to show up in the supermarket, like a, a huge percentage of it just gets thrown on the ground as you're picking it, you know? So you just get these like huge piles of rotten zucchini everywhere, which is just this direct result of exactly what they're talking about. People just like have these kind of arbitrary standards for food mm. um, and it can't enter the system if it's not sort of properly, can't, can't be properly kind of categorized. So go Denmark. But, but is that whole zucchini kerfuffle, that's at the producer level by which I mean, yeah, like at the farm, you're not going to go even put it on the truck, so you feed it to the chickens or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just nothing to be done with it, you know? It's like once the zucchini grows like a little bit too long, it can't be wholesaled because there's all these standards for wholesale vegetables. And so, like, there's just – there's, like, literally you just have to leave it in the field. So it's huge amounts of waste, but um, but kind of a direct result of, of the commodity, you know, the sort of – idea that everything has to be it goes back to what we're saying like everything has to be controlled you know and and, and categorized and put in the right size box so but there are there are internal standards about how big a, uh, a zucchini can get you don't want like an obscenely yeah. large girthy yeah. <laughs> girth the girth cocky is the <laughs> zucchini yeah no i mean it really if you look up like I don't even know why I was looking this up but if you look up like usda standards on a vegetable like tomatoes there's like Literally, like, you know, page after page of specs about a tomato, about how a tomato is categorized. Like, all these charts and, you know, there's like 12 different levels of ripeness and there's, you know, there's all the, the size and the shape and all of these, all of these parameters and metrics that are used to, to, um, to have vegetables enter what is essentially the supply chain. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating when you, when you look at it, it's actually super boring, but the, (laughs) but the, but the volume, the volume of metrics that are involved is, is kind of interesting. I got to wonder how many of those are necessary for food safety and how many are just sort of, yeah, zero, like none of them, none of them. I remember my mom once getting really offended when my dad brought home a bunch of bananas that were obscenely phallic. It was a strange moment. <laughs> she was just like, oh, John, 
What bananas are not found? <laughs> but they were especially like, God, there was something very, ah, in green. I don't know, they look like big old yellow dicks. I can't describe, I don't, and it's not that I noticed it right away, but my, once my mom That's, pointed out to the family that dad bought these, this bunch of big yellow dicks. That's all you can see when you look at them. The story doesn't make sense, man. It does. It does. Because he's saying like the zucchinis were too long. You can't have a zucchini in the marketplace. It's going to make people feel uncomfortable. These ones were especially... is not more or less dick-like. These ones were really big. Maybe it was just their size that was offensive. What? I don't know. She took offense at it. My mom's allowed to be offended by whatever she wants to be offended by. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Fine. And speaking of people being offended by things real quickly, uh, this, I found this article because it uh, came from a tweet by, uh, Tamar Hospel who wrote an article, Washington post. She's salty. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote an article kind of declaring war on salad (laughs) that really turned out was more about just don't eat stupid greens like iceberg lettuce. But, uh, you know, we, we pointed out to her that we had died. This was last week. We really picked apart that article uh, and we told her about it and she almost listened to it, but we had a, a, Fleeting, you know, five second conversation about Aerosmith at the beginning of the podcast, and that just turned her <laughs> off. So I wanted to give her an Aerosmith update oh, because there was some Aerosmith news this week. Uh, apparently, in Moscow, there was a busker <laughs> who was playing the the Aerosmith ballad that I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to. Oh, I haven't fall thought about that. Years. You know that was Aerosmith's only number one hit, which is oh. crazy. That is crazy. How do you know that? Or, or at least, or at least their first number one hit. After all those years, How that do movie you know with Ben Affleck. I repeat. I don't know. I've always known that. That's just. A, okay. I, I think we got a. Cool, this is Busker, right? He's, he's singing this song in a subway in Moscow, and who walks by? Steven Tyler, lead singer of Aerosmith, fully joins him in a duet. That's great. And story, they just Josh. rock it. Wow. <laughs> so there you go, Tamar. He's an everyman. That one's just for you. It was for Tamar. Okay. All right. And it gives us a, an excuse to move on. Please. Move. I've got a, I've, my, Go my, I've got a run in like five minutes. Okay. Is that? Okay. <laughs> I, I booked it till 10, but I've got no to be somewhere at 1030. Well, let's just pick one of these to hit with Arlo and then you and I can move through the rest. Yeah. Okay. Which one do you like? Should it be shell uh, eggs? You want to drink some savory yogurt? Or yeah, Arlo, which one do you like? You've read them all. Well, no, the savory yogurt one was cool. I I mean, the shell eggs one, I was, is kind of nuts just because that's like a real controversy. But the, I read this morning in an unrelated article that McDonald's uses over 4% of the eggs produced in the United States go to McDonald's. Isn't that crazy? Um, So yeah, anyway, the, but the savory yogurt stuff. uh, Yeah. That was the same article. It was the what? What? Speak. <laughs> I think that was also an article saying that McDonald's was going cage-free. Yeah, exactly. That article. Yeah. They're not going to keep their employees in cages anymore? That's right. wonderful. Natural <laughs> organic, humane treatment of animals. But I'll bet it's also some response to Hampton Creek and what's going on with, like... Everyone's shitting their pants over this. The egg board. <laughs> Well, do savory yogurt. I think that's great stuff. I want to try it. I can't so, really uh, picture what savory yogurt's like. You didn't assign this one. Sure. You want to drink some savory yogurt? Yeah. Blue Hill plans another industry first with move into drinkable savory yogurt by Elaine Watson. Eight-ounce drinkable yogurts, which will utilize some of the veggie purees used in Blue Hill yogurt pots. What? What? Blue Hill yogurt pots? I think that's like their little containers that they sell. 
All right. Plus, fruits in a different set of cultures will have a sub $5 price point and should hit the market in January. This is uh, Blue Hill is run by David Barber. Yeah. Brother of celebrated Dan Barber. Yeah. Farmer. Dan. Yeah. Uh, quote, we were ahead of the curve with the savory yogurt night idea, and now we want to take it one step further. We could see on social media, oh boy, uh, that a lot of people are already making their own smoothies with our yogurts using our recipes. They get the, looks like they've got Maple Hill Creamery in New York helping them manufacture it. 100% grass-fed cows, farms in the Northeast, including Blue Hill's own farm in the Berkshires. That's where I went to school. Uh, Popular flavors, butternut squash, beet, carrot, tomato, sweet potato, parsnip. Yeah. You in? Yeah, I've, had, I've yeah. had many containers of the beet and of the butternut squash. You have Is that true? Have you really it? eaten it? Really? Is it good? Do you like it? I do like it. It was an adjustment because I think, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like ever, consumers are so used to this sweet, fruity yogurt. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, yogurt's an ingredient in plenty of soups and things like that. Like, why wouldn't yeah, it be okay to absolutely. have like, a nice, savory yogurt? And once I got past that, it was really <laughs> quite delightful. It's just kind of a thing. It requires a shift. He sounds skeptical. Yeah. Mindset. Yeah. But it said, this article said, too, that people are using them as dips. So there you go. Yeah. If, you, if you have a different yeah. vehicle putting it in your mouth, it changes everything. If you've got it on the end of a corn chip, all of a sudden it makes sense. In a spoon, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know. Have you had have you had any of these, Arlo? No, I haven't. But I mean, this article was the first time I'd ever heard of them. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It's like requires this kind of like, it's just something you expect to be sweet, right? And a beet flavored yogurt, it just seems like it's going to just taste like dirt, essentially. Like dirt flavored yogurt but no i'm on board dan barber is uh he's a hero so if his, his brother wants to make some savory <laughs> yogurts i'm there i mean this product might be kind of hard to find in the wilds of san francisco but you the beet one is actually it's like kind of creamy and sweet it has like the sweet aspects of a beet right hey right right mega trend yeah. here moving away from sweet to savory mega trend in everything so snacks good. Yeah, <laughs> everything yeah. else. Bedroom play, everything. That's <laughs> no. Okay. All right, but let's let let's Arlo, let Arlo go. go. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank. Uh, th- <laughs> this echo has gotten so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it won't show up on the final recording. But thank you, Arlo. Absolutely. Thanks for being in touch. For my first podcasting experience, my podcast cherry's been busted. Yes. Pop Glad it could be with you guys. Okay, we're back. Thanks, Arlo. Appreciated it. So generous with your time and intellect and heart. heart. Your heart. Your heart. And your potty talk. Uh, let's go to Floating Farms. Please do. I thought you were reading it. I'll read it if you want me to read it. Well, you know, such a velveteen voice. I'm going to come back up onto the bike for the rest of this podcast. And... A floating food forest may be coming to the Hudson River. Nicole Jewell, Inhabit.com, unknown status, pro-wise. Conceptualized by New York-based artist Mary Mattingly, Swale. What a name. Swale is a self-sustaining food forest that could grace the waters of the Hudson sometime next summer. The 50-foot diameter floating platform would be built with a gangway entrance and walkways that would allow the public to harvest food grown inside the garden. Man, we blew it not doing this one with Arlo. It's a giant platform that floats. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man, sorry, buddy. Oh, yeah, sorry, Arlo. Anyway. Well, maybe he just would have 
been there, done that. Like, oh, pff, what? A, 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 the size of a platform doesn't make it impressive. It's the craftsmanship. And it's not in the dirt. It's on ocean. We don't know about his opinion of water. <laughs> what he thinks about water. Right. If you can farm on water. All right. So I don't know if this just seems like a novelty thing. Don't farm in cities. Farm on the dirt. Far- water unknown. And where we're like, oh, farm in malls. Farm on floating platforms. It's probably because we don't have actual farm experience. That's well, another conceptual artist piece. Yeah. We like the renderings, I think, better than the... Oh, I like the name Swale. See, I don't like that. Why? Swale? It's like the past tense of swole. <laughs> I guess I do like that. <laughs> it's all swaled up. Attack of the shell egg producers. Here we go. This is the... Is this our closer? Oh, this is a big one. It is. We miss Arlo on this one, too. But that's okay. We know Hampton Creek well. (laughs) Guardian, U.S.-appointed egg lobby paid food blogs and targeted chef to crush vegan vegan startup by Sam Thielman. Quote. Bro? Unknown status. The scale of the campaign, dubbed Beyond Eggs after Hampton Creek's original company name. (laughs) Oh, boy. Mm. Taking a... Yeah. Bloodthirsty. Shows the lengths to which a federally appointed industry-funded marketing group, we're talking about the egg board here, I think, right? I believe so. Incredible edible egg crap. Um, We'll go to squash a relatively small Silicon Valley startup. Small Sam. Maybe only in your eyes. Or in length of time around. Impact? Huge. I'll finish the quote. Hold on. What the hell is happening Uh, here? A relatively small Silicon Valley startup from enlisting a high-powered public relations firm to buying off unwitting bloggers. Oh, boy. That hurts. Sad state of journalism in this day and age. The The American egg board. bloggers are starving. A lot of starving bloggers. One Instagram. Here, you can send me your product. Here's my Instagram pic. 2,500 bucks. I like eggs. (sighs) It's good, though. This article names names. We like to name names. Sorry, Mo. The American Egg Board contracted Edelman, the world's largest public relations company, to coordinate an anti-Hampton Creek campaign, including a few of these little tidbits. You ready? Drizzle them out. Bullet point one. Pay food bloggers as much as $2,500 a post. Jesus. (laughs) Who's getting that? That is big money. (laughs) Tips at natch.is. <laughs> yeah. uh, to write online recipes and stories about the virtue of eggs that repeated the egg lobby group's key messages. Conf- bullet point two. Confront Andrew Zimmern. Oh, boy. Mm. Heavy hitter. Who had featured Hampton Creek on his popular travel channel show, Bizarre Foods, and praised the company in a blog post characterized by top egg board executives as a, quote, love letter. And then best of all, bullet point three. Mm unsuccessfully tried to... Re- I think all of these were unsuccessful. They did get some food bloggers. I'm, sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure the first one was successful. <laughs> but and, that You're one dangling was- $2,500 <laughs> in front of a food blogger? <laughs> uh, uh, Zimmern did not bite, of course. Uh, but this one. Unsuccessfully tried to recruit both the animal rights and autism activist Temple Grandin. Shrewd. <laughs> and the best-selling author and blogger Reed Drummond to publicly support the egg industry. I know Temple said no. I think Reed probably said no. There you go, man. They're running scared, buddy. They are. And it's sad in a sense because... This makes me love Hampton Creek all over again. 
I do like Hampton Creek, but you know what? Like sometimes I was worried it was too big. It was like, I get it. It's, you know, this is, it's important, but even the positioning that like, this is a movement. We're changing the world. I'm like, yeah, I I know. I like it. Yes. But it, it felt too much. But now like game on. Yeah. When you know what's going on behind the scenes. Oh boy. Well, it's just you sad too because the, the egg board is reacting them. purely out of fear here. Creek. And that, that never leads to anything good. And you know what? I like eggs. I of eat the not. shit out of eggs. And an egg is an incredible invention of Mother Nature. Have you ever, do you know that trick? Like if you take an egg, put it in your palm uh, lengthwise sort of, so it's like pointing upward toward your middle finger and then try and... Like a big yellow banana? Sort of. Have you ever tried to like crush an egg with just one hand? Oh, lengthwise, no. Can't do it. Arlo would have done this. You can't, I mean, Swole Hulk could do it, but most people can't just crush an egg because it's so, the, the structural design of an eggshell is so perfect in many ways. <laughs> this sounds like a farm trick. Well, it could be a kitchen trick if you have an egg. That's impressive. It is. And if Swole Hulk couldn't do it, Swale Hulk just couldn't saying, do it either. The egg, eggs, there's a lot of virtue to eggs. Eggs are great, but, but the problem, of course, is the sustainability of agribusiness. The problem is people not being open to any sort of change. Well, yeah, it's like it's I consolidating it. it's power. Ter- the egg board is terrified. It's well, that's why this story is called "Attack of the Shell Egg Producers." I love yeah. that they're, they're the shell egg producers, <laughs> the shellless egg producers. They're okay. Yeah, the, those <laughs> egg whites and cartons—they're not too mad about this. I mean, just you know, God, just oh, ease the fuck up. It's a lot of I, there's a lot of money on the line, billions of dollars. There's a whole established supply chain. Ay. They're clinging desperately to the illusion of control. Oh, my God. When they don't have it, things are shifting. Man, we cracked some codes on this one. Yeah, we did. No surprise I, there. Well, the control aspect as it, con- as it connects with the food chain. Yeah, man. And just with life in general, bro. Well, I know that. We know that shell egg producers are feeling threatened by the introduction of this product. This is, uh, what's her name? Ivy? Ivy. Uh, now she's already left, but she was running the egg board uh, in a September 2013 email. In a statement to the Guardian, Ivy said the AEB American Egg Board efforts their their efforts to balance existing media efforts were common practice and part of a larger business strategy. Uh, Tetric, the Joshua, mm. Josh, <laughs> <laughs> our bro JT. Hey, he's another JT. Oh, that's nice. Kind of like me. He um, I, th- I think he uh. He's always so uh, CEO should be right, sort of controlled when he's when you hear him on somewhat stoic NPR or something. Well, he's got a nice, and he's got a very uh, welcoming Southern accent. That always helps. But he's got, of course, a very sharp, agile mind, and he is in control of his emotions. And you know, he kind of was like, ah, "This is against the law. I think we should have a congressional inquiry into this." <laughs> <laughs> Get ready, egg board. Yeah, but at this point, I think the tides. Tipping toward Hampton Creek. Well, it's it isn't it? But there's something um, something special. Well, you, we like just see how desperate they're act, how desperate the egg board. Well, I know, but well, all of these major established power brokers. I mean, Unilever is one of those with mayonnaise. Here's the egg board with eggs. They're like just draw. They can't. They're like shooting little arrows at the the uh, Jolly Green Giant. Well, it's more like they're, sh- they're shooting arrows at an apparition because it's, just, it's less, it's not so much about, <sighs> about Hampton Creek as it is about people's changing appetites and the kind of ether of like what's actually sustainable and what's really going to work. And 
consumers how we need to shift focus on mm -hmm. both the consumer and the producer side moving into the future and it's the and it's the established producer thinking they hold all the cards when that's not the case anymore yeah and hampton creek is a figurehead and it's also like a big part of the body of this but you know you're fucking it up egg board it's it's you can't fight in the wrong fight nothing sticks yeah they for so they're doing something right jesus because I don't see Hampton Creek. They don't have scrambled egg patties yet, do they? Why don't you focus right. on that? Focus on what you're good at. They do. They got one coming out. A, f a scrambled egg patty? Well, not a patty, but a... a An egg substitute? Yep. Oh, that's trouble. <laughs> For who? The egg board? Probably. Yeah, that's trouble. Hold on. I'm going to tell you the name of it. I do like... I like eggs, I though. I like the, 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 uh, the process, the... the uh, why can't I think of the stupid word? The ritual of cracking an egg, of oh, frying two eggs, of having the yolks stare back up at me. I like all that. Just I saying. I don't think it, there's just mayo, just cookie dough, just cookies. I know they're working on a. They're oh, working this, on Mr. A, Insider. Well, they're working on an. Uh, what do you call those? An egg substitute. Yeah, you just pour the batter in and make scrambled eggs, sort of thing. Sure. And a pancake batter, I think. Okay. Uh oh. Let's not scratch the beard into the microphone. Is that it? I'm oh, pretty much done. I have their uh, their new, or I don't know how new it is, but I bought the garlic flavored Hampton Creek mayo the other day. It's good. I would just like eat it, just eat. with a spoon, <laughs> brush style. Not, ooh, it's pretty good. I don't know. It. I, I. I did. As I said, I worried that they were when you f flare up that bright, you can flame out. But they're they're surviving. This yeah. stuff is not. There's some heavy hitters coming after him. And uh, when it gets into the public domain, the public votes for the creek. Yeah, they like those heartwarming letters in the New York Times. Oh, we were going to do one, remember? We were. <laughs> I love that campaign, too. In case Hampton Creek's listening, I thought that was a great campaign. We just were gonna we were gonna accompany your letter to Barack well, Obama there, with there a, with a letter one, to Joe Biden. There were one or two too many. I was like, okay, let's. I was like, I was like slow down. I, was, I thought they were gonna keep going. Like every week there'd be a new one, and then it was like, dear refrigerator repairman, yeah, food's so, broken. <laughs> right? That was, that was us being funny, which we are. And then you wanted to do Joe Biden, right? I like a. I mean, Joe Biden. I mean, your your second banana, your second giant dick like banana. You're you're getting left out in the cold. Where's Joe Biden's letter? Maybe yeah. the oh egg board. Why aren't you writing Joe Biden a letter? Yeah, he's got kind of the a blue collar board. veneer to him. You could probably sell him on some. That's it. Now, damn it, egg board should take out full page ads. Not in the New York Times, in the Onion, uh, Weekly World News, <laughs> USA Today, <laughs> USA you Today, and address them to yeah something a little bit off of each of the ones Hampton Creek did. So Biden instead of Obama. That's a good one. Yeah. Who were some of the other ones? Who, well, they uh, should do the refrigerator repair, man. Everybody counts. They do. Joe the plumber, remember him? Yeah. He was a big deal. <laughs> I love that. Dear refrigerator repair, man, food is broken. <laughs> food is broken. Grab your wrench. We're here. To <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah. There's an earnestness that we would like to play with there. Yeah. Okay. Man, I am spent. That was an audio. You're doing that leaning back thing again. Miracle. I'm back. Whoa, now you're doing that too loud thing. You are a <laughs> dervish on that damn microphone. Tough, tough, te tough technical performance from Mark Brush. <laughs> That's right. We were saddled we with it. some. We did. We did seven stories. We got to know Arlo. Thank Arlo. you very much, Arlo. Yeah, that was fun, man. Yeah, it was. He's a good dude. Makes me want to go out to San Francisco. Eh, 
sleep on his couch. <laughs> I think we need to organize a group trip out to the mic- Micropia. Micropia. I don't think we're all going to get to Amsterdam at the same time. Not with that kind of attitude. Ooh. Yeah. We're doers. We can make shit happen, man. I'm pretty sure. Well, he's writing could, essays. He can... He can write on the plane. We need money. What, do you want him to do some grant writing for us? <laughs> no, he writes essay. He can write an essay about going to... Oh, I guess Ed Young just did that. Okay, uh, thanks Arlo. It was Natchcast twenty five. If you're keeping score, we kind of are because uh, I don't know. We're passing time here. We're spanning time with you, and uh, we like it. <laughs> Feels good. Feels good to talk about Aerosmith. Sorry for going off on those tangents, but uh, I, I have their box set somewhere around this house. I was I liked Aerosmith when I was younger. Sort of an embarrassing thing to think back on now, but. Uh, what are you gonna do? I try. I tried to sing Aerosmith recently, a little basement karaoke. That's hard. You gotta respect Steven Tyler's range. Tell you what. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta respect the fact that you don't control shit. You know that? There's no control. It's an illusion. We're getting all Alan Watts up in here. The wisdom of insecurity. Let it go. Didn't appreciate that. Let it go. Let go of control. Be in the moment and, uh, you know, listen to previous episodes. Even though that's in the past, you'll still be in the moment because we're there with you. It's visceral. It's Natchcast. Natchcast.